Great. Good morning, everyone. It's great to be uh, here, uh, able to, to, to speak to you. Uh, it's just amazing how God speaks, isn't it, throughout our meetings as different ones bring different words. And just to emphasize, I hope you pick it up as I go on over the next uh, 20, 25 minutes. I hope you pick up, but there's so much that's already been brought that is so uh, so connected, like tissue, it's so connected into what I'm going to say. I might not be able to draw out everything. I might not be able to make all the links explicitly myself, but I trust uh, that as I speak, God will be prompting different ones to draw connections between what's been brought already and what I'm going to say. And I, Lord, I just pray, uh, thank you, I thank you now, uh, Lord, that you speak, you speak to us. Uh, you're so generous in the way you guide. And I just ask, Lord, that you'd help me uh, to say uh, the right words now. You'd hope, help all of us here uh, to, to pick up on the right words as well. Lord, be prompting us, Father God. We're open to you. We long uh, to hear from you. Great. So we're continuing today our series on the, the Holy Spirit. I hope you found it helpful, encouraging, uplifting. I know I know I have. Uh, I'm just going to start today's preach by launching straight into our our passage. It's not a long passage, uh, but the verses are are amazing. Really, really phenomenal uh, verses. So if you have a Bible with you, please turn with me to Romans chapter 8 and verses 15 and 16. Romans chapter 8, verses 15 and 16. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. I'm going to read it again. For we did not receive, you did not receive, the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear. But you have received the spirit of adoption as sons, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And today I have the privilege of telling those of you here this morning that have given your life to Jesus. You've accepted Jesus as your Lord and Savior. I have the privilege of telling you exactly what is written in these verses, that you are adopted precious children of God. I'm not going to make it much more complicated than that. Many of you will know this truth already, but I hope what I do say will bring renewed clarity to different ones here about what it means to be a child of God. And I also hope, given the subject of our preaching series, that I'll be able to bring a bit more clarity about the role the Holy Spirit plays in our adoption uh, to God. I trust as well that uh, as I speak, uh, as we spend the rest of our meeting together, the next half an hour or so, that God will be bringing renewed conviction uh, in hearts across the room, in hearts that perhaps are falling back or have been falling back interfere in the words that Paul uses here. I trust that none will go out of the meeting this morning in fear. Trust that everyone will go out convicted of the love of God for them, the love that God has for them as dear adopted children. So that's uh, where we're going to go over the next uh, few few minutes. 
I mentioned there uh, Paul's words. So Paul, for those of you who don't know, Paul is the author of this book of the Bible. It was originally written as a letter, and it was written to Christians in Rome, in ancient Rome. So some of you might not know this letter was written uh, just just under 2,000 years ago. I've got my maths right. Just under 2,000 years ago. And some of you may be thinking, well, what relevance does this letter written all this time ago have for us today? What connections are there between the lives of perhaps Christians living in ancient Rome and Christians like us living here, to, living here in Norwich in the, the present time? Well, I quite, I'm quite into to history, uh, so I've got a book here about ancient Rome, a history book that I've been reading. Um, and just listen to this. Listen to what the author, it's written by an author called Tom Holland. Listen to what he has to say about life in ancient Rome. Reading Roman authors praise their city, one would never guess that the Tiber, that's the river that flows through Rome, was prone to violent flooding, and that the valleys of Rome were rife with malaria. That's a very, very dangerous disease. Slums and shanties sprouted like weeds at the edge of the city, and invariably, these buildings would often collapse, only to be thrown up once more to collapse subsequently again. Degradation in the city was on such a scale that it was something new in the world. And the suffering of the urban poor was all the more terrible because they were isolated and deprived of a sense of community. So what do we hear there? We hear loneliness, we hear about disease, we hear about poverty, we hear about floods, natural disasters, all things that animate uh, kind of discussion in the news, animate discussion in the public sphere today. How can we deal with these things? These are the things that the Christians that Paul was writing to in Rome, these are the things that they were struggling with. And of course, this is not in that passage that from Tom Holland's history, of course, these were also Christians who were living as a faith minority. So I trust you can see that there are parallels here Admittedly, a very different world, but perhaps not so different. There are parallels in the lives of these people in ancient Rome and the lives that we live here, Christians today, even here in little old Norwich. There are, there are these parallels. And because of these parallels, we can take what Paul writes in the book of Romans, writes in these verses, we can take it for us here today. We can take it to our hearts, use it to encourage us, to strengthen us. Paul wants to encourage the Roman Christians that they can face all these varied crises that I've just described, that they can face all these varied difficulties that I've just described. They can face them with confidence because, well, because they are adopted children of God. And we can face all the varied tragedies, crises, difficulties, struggles that we face. We can face those things with confidence. We can face them with peace and even I say it with, with, with joy, because we are adopted children of God, adopted by Christ, adoption made known by the Spirit, as I'll go on to talk about. There is great reassurance in these verses for us, just as there would have been great reassurance in these verses for those that originally heard them all that time ago. But what does it mean exactly to be uh, adopted? 
What does that mean? Well, Paul helps us uh, in these two verses that we have by describing, first of all, what adoption isn't. He writes about slavery. He says, you do not, did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear. And what's it like to be a slave? What is the condition of a slave? What characterizes the life of a slave? Well, uh, as a history buff, so I'm going to go back to my history book. This is about what the life of slaves was like in ancient Rome. The work of most slaves was crushing. This was particularly the case in the countryside where conditions were at their worst. Gangs were brought wholesale, branded and shackled, then set to labor from dawn until dusk. Not a shred of privacy or dignity was permitted them. Exhaustion was remedied by the whip. Sometimes slaves were executed. The crippled or prematurely aged could expect to be cast aside like diseased cattle or shattered wine jars. So that lines, those lines that I just read, they give a hint at why slaves could be so abused, as the rest of those, uh, that, that passage from the, the history described. Slaves could be so abused because they were not seen to have any value. The value that was bestowed on kind of Roman citizens right, was not bestowed on slaves. They were seen as, as property. And this enabled them to be abused right, with, with little restriction enabled them to be, to be worked to death, worked to ill health. In fact, that was where their only value lay, was in their, their, uh, their ability to labor. So when that went, as the passage described, they were, they were put aside. To be a slave in ancient Rome was not to have any value, not to have any value conferred upon you. And praise God, of course, we don't have this kind of system of slavery, institutionalized system of slavery in our country here today. But I wonder if you can, I wonder if it resonates uh, when I say that I think many of us, I certainly find this, many of us can live slavishly. Right? We can live with what Paul might say, a spirit of slavery. And I think that spirit of slavery at base is due to a confusion over our value. It's due to um, a, lack, uh, in our, a lack of confidence in who we are. Right? And that can kind of be generated internally, but it can be generated from around us as well. Marcus, right at the start of the meeting, talked about, I can't remember what it was, uh, uh, strange teachings strange teachings that divert us. And so many, we have so many strange teachings around us in our culture now, and one of the ways in which they harm so much is by convincing us that we have no value or convincing us that our value lies, for one example, in our labor, that we are purely labor, that our work is our worth. It's just, it's, it's, it's not true. But because the narratives are so powerful, sometimes the internal narratives are so powerful, we come to believe it. We come to believe, that like a slave in ancient Rome, we, we have no value. And what happens in this circumstance? We start to fall into fear. We become afraid. We work feverishly in our jobs, desperate to hold on to what, little, what kind of security they, they give work feverishly, we're thrown into anxiety at each news headline, 
because we don't believe that we have a value that will outlast whatever crisis is being described or will see us through whatever crisis is being described in that headline. Sometimes we work feverishly, slavishly in the context of church even because we see our value, or we, 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 un- we come to understand that our value is in what we do around church, around the church family. And obviously it's wonderful to serve, right? And it's good to work in the secular, secular sphere as well, to work hard there as well. Relationships are important, relationships of all kinds. But they can't be the primary source of our value. They're too fragile. Even if you're very, very good at what you do, time will eventually take that vocation from you. It's not the foundation that we need. And subsequently, we fall. As a consequence, we fall into fear. We live slavishly. We live slavish lives. Oops, Being adopted is a world away from being enslaved. I hope you, hope you see that. But I hope now, as I'm speaking, that God, by his spirit, is convicting hearts of that. Being adopted, being adopted child of God is a world away from being a slave. You are not given a spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but a spirit of adoption. What does it mean to be adopted? I'll just unpack that a little bit more. What does it mean to be adopted? What characterizes uh, uh, the condition of one who has been adopted? I won't read my history book again. I will just say a little bit more about ancient Rome. Because adoption in ancient Rome at the time Paul was writing was a little bit different to what it is today. For one thing, adoption uh, tended to describe, uh, tended to be used to describe uh, a process whereby an adult man was drawn into a family that had no male heirs in order to continue that line. Okay? And part of the reason I make this particular point is because there may be some here wondering um, why we're uh, adopted as sons, or what some other translations might say adoption to, to sonship. Now that's not because God only adopts men, thankfully, uh, or because men no, no, only men have value. It's because Paul is writing in that context. And what Paul is saying is that both men and women have the privileges of adoption or similar privileges of adoption to those males that are adopted in that particular Roman culture. And so some of those privileges are a little different, but we can recognize there's some parallels, um, some uh, crossover between then and and now. So what is it to be adopted in at the present time? There's many here, sorry, many, there's a number here who've adopted children into their families. It's a wonderful thing. And what does that confer upon that child adopted? What does the child get? The child has, for one thing, security, primarily perhaps security. They have have love. They have an inheritance. So they're, they're secure for their future. Don't need to worry about their future. Um, but perhaps underlying all of these things, the adopted child has the sense that their behavior does not determine their belonging in the family, or their performance doesn't affect their place in the family. If you're a, if you're a slave, if you're working slavishly, as I was just saying, your only value is if you can, 
you know, carve, carve the, the stones out of the rock if you're working in the mine, or it's, it's only in the fact you can carry the water jars from one part of the house to another. That's, that's your value. It's a very, very fragile hold on, on kind of life. If that goes, you go. You don't have much value beyond that. But the adopted child, right, their belonging in the family is not based on their behavior. They're adopted. They're taken in. And this is what God does for us. God does for the Christian. He takes in people who have empty hands. Again, something that came through earlier. People who have empty hands, nothing to offer. But more than that, people who have actually abused God, ran, run away from God. God takes these ones in, adopts them. It's by his grace. It's his grace. Belonging to God is not dependent on our behavior. Place not dependent on performance. This is something that I have to preach to myself quite regularly. I'm someone who has in the past tended to get quite a lot of their sense of self-worth, right, from vocation, from work. But my, no, no. My place in God's family is not dependent upon my performance. It's dependent on what God has done for me in the death and resurrection of Jesus. My acceptance of that, my repentance from my sin. Place not dependent on performance. This is what it is to be adopted. And of course, we can have even more confidence because God is the king of the universe. He's powerful. He's infinitely more able to deal with the problems we face, external problems, internal problems, than we could ever imagine. The adopted child has confidence when they're taken into an earthly family. How much more can we have confidence, security, when we're convicted of the fact we're adopted by the king of the universe, Alpha and Omega? Who can touch one so adopted? At the end of Romans chapter 8, uh, it's verse, verse 38, Paul kind of comes to the conclusion of an argument he's making, which includes the verses we have today. Um, and he ends by saying, Neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. A soaring verses. Nothing can separate. Why can nothing separate? Because we're adopted children, taken in to God's family. Sorry, I'm just deciding what to say next. I'm just slightly conscious of time. I'll say this very, very quickly. J.I. Packer. Um, noted, uh, incredible uh, theologian of the 20th century, he uh, talks about propitiation for adoption. Now, propitiation is a bit of a complicated word. I might not quite get it right, um, but propitiation basically means it describes a situation where our, uh, our wrongdoing has not been counted against us or it has been set um, aside. Okay? So it's forgiveness, right? We celebrate forgiveness on the cross, right? Jesus did that. He forgave. He, he, he enabled us to stand right before God. Justification, in other words. The punishment that should have been ours uh, was put 
uh, was, was taken by Jesus, and we stand free of that. But on the cross, we're not just set free, right? we're, we're drawn home. We're adopted through Jesus' work on the cross. It's propitiation for uh, adoption. Adoption describes what we have to look forward to. You know, we had songs about future hope earlier on. Adoption describes what we have to look, look forward to. We have life uh, in a family with God, relationship with God. We receive love of God, give God, love God in return, give him glory in, in return. Um, I should perhaps acknowledge at, at this point that there may be people here for whom the experience of parenting or even the experience of adoption right, has, has left much to be desired. Right? Maybe you even had a bad experience of, of adoption, perhaps uh, within the context of a, of a Christian institution. We know that there's been some terrible kind of abuses kind of perpetrated in those, some of those institutions over you know, the last 50, 70 uh, years. And I'm really, really sorry if that's you. you know, we mourn with you. Situations are, are, are terrible. But I hope um, you can see that God the Father is far more constant, more loving, more faithful right, than any earthly parent and certainly any kind of earthly institution. How do we know this? Well, we can look back actually in Romans. We can go to Romans chapter 5, verse 8. It says, God shows his love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. God adopted us, drew us into his family when he knew the worst about us, when he already knew the worst about us, the worst that we could ever do. On what grounds then will he turn away from us? He will not be ground down or broken on the rocks of our bad behavior or poor performance. We will continue to belong to him, continue to be loved by him. Nothing can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. We're safe in his house forever. We're called in, called home. Freed, yes, but called home. Brought into relationship. I'm just going to read a little bit more uh, from, from Packer. I can't not read this. Uh, Goff absolutely loves this quote. Uh, he's memorized it. I've not quite got there yet. Um, I'm on the way, but I'm just going to have to read it. Uh, so describing... God's relationship to us and our awareness of God's relationship with us. Packer says this, This is momentous knowledge. There is unspeakable comfort in knowing that God is constantly taking knowledge of me in love and watching over me for my good. There is tremendous relief in knowing that his love to me is utterly realistic, based at every point on prior knowledge of the worst about me, so that no discovery now can disillusion him about me in the way I am so often disillusioned about myself, and quench his determination to bless me. No discovery now can disillusion him. No discovery about you can disillusion him about you. Or quench his determination to bless you. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us, freed us from our sin, but drew us into a loving family, drew us into his family, showered love and blessing upon us. Nothing can separate one adopted by God from the love of God in Christ Jesus. 
But of course, our two verses here, they don't just talk about adoption. They say we have a spirit of adoption. So as I draw things to a close, I'm just going to say, given our preaching series, a little about the role that the Spirit, the third person of the Trinity, plays in our adoption, plays in drawing us into God's family. I was thinking about this, I was trying to work out how I could say it, and I, I think, I hope, trust this illustration will help. What difference, what, what, does, what role does the Spirit play? What difference does the Spirit make in our adoption? Well, I think it, it makes our adoption real, the Spirit, sorry, he makes our adoption felt to, uh, real to us in a felt, experiential way. Okay? So imagine the difference in the feelings of a child, or a child might have, uh, on seeing their new parents' signatures on, uh, on the adoption papers. So imagine an orphan child, imagine the feelings they have seeing their parents' signatures on adoption papers, or perhaps hearing they're being adopted. Imagine their feelings, that circumstance, compare those to their feelings that they might have when their adoptive parents walk in the door and take them up in their arms, or when they've been with their adopted family, loved, enfolded in the community of a loving family for a month. Surely the joy, the peace will be greater in the second set of circumstances. And that is what the Spirit does. The Spirit enables us to feel in the heart the love of God the Father to us. It takes us, the Spirit, He takes us up, gives us that experience of the love of God the Father for us. The Spirit gives us heart knowledge rather than head knowledge, to use that uh, wording. And just to be clear, the cry in this passage, the cry, cry Abba, Father, that's a cry of, of joy, right? In the original wording in the Greek, that would have been a cry, a word meaning a cry of joy. And Abba, Abba is an Aramaic word. So most of this passage, all of the, this book actually would have been written in Greek, um, but Aramaic is a different language, obviously. And so this word Abba would have stood out in the Greek, right, like it stands out to us in the English, and Paul, I think, is using that as a device to just say something about the authenticity uh, of the relationship that the, adopted, that the Christian adopted by God the Father has with God. So this is a joyful, authentic feeling it's provoked in the Christian by the love of God the Father as, made, as it's made known to the Christian by the Holy Spirit. Right, the spirit of slavery, going back to that, equals fear. The spirit of adoption equals what? Joy. Joy. Joy and peace. No child cries out in joy when they see a parent unless they have been enfolded in their parent's arms, loved by their parent. Right? They will not cry out in the same way if they only know somehow that they've got a kind of legal relationship to the parent. The Spirit enables us to have that deeply felt, authentic relationship with the Father, to know the love of God the Father in the heart. The Spirit, the Spirit witnesses to our spirit, verse 16. The Spirit, in this, in this context, in that verse, right, that means something like the heart. You know the way we talk about the heart? We're not literally saying this organ pumping away. It's the heart. It says something about deep down inside. That's the same word, that Spirit there. 
The Spirit witnesses to our spirit, brings conviction, a deep emotional level. And this is actually the primary, the first work of the Spirit. We heard earlier on about, about gifts, um, and, and the Spirit does bestow gifts upon us in order to equip us to do the work that God puts before us. But before all of this, the work of the Spirit is to pour. In the Romans, uh, Romans chapter 5, verse 5, um, uh, God's love has been poured into our hearts. That's right. God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit. That's the primary work of the Spirit. And these verses clarify the nature of that love to us. It's the love of a wonderful Father who adopts those who are unlovely. And with the Spirit, that adoption, the reality of our adoption becomes not just head knowledge, but heart knowledge. The Spirit stirs up our affections towards, God's, towards God the Father banishing fear as we experience the love of God the Father to us by the Spirit himself. So I'll, I'll finish here just by asking again, do you feel like you've been falling back into fear? If so, I hope the whole of this meeting has brought fresh revelation to your heart of the love of God for you as the Spirit has moved amongst us. Um, and if you're not quite there yet. I'm just going to pray for us now. Actually, the band, band want to come back up. Um, I'm just going to pray for us all now um, that we would be open, particularly those feeling like they might be such useful language, but they might be falling back into fear, just particularly those people. You may not be a Christian here, of course. I've mainly been talking to those of us who are Christians. This adoption can be yours, right? If you confess your needs salvation, your need of forgiveness for sins, right? if you confess belief in what Jesus has achieved in his death and resurrection, adoption is for you as well. You can have peace, you can have this, this joy. Right? So I'll pray for you as well. Mm. Our loving Heavenly Father, yeah. we, we worship you Alpha and Omega, beginning and end, author of time, and yet a deeply loving Father who longs to be close to us in all our unloveliness. Father, I thank you that you love us so much that you'd send your Son, Jesus, to die for us, to make us right before you, but also to draw us into your family. Thank you so much for your love that does that. Father, we're open to your spirit now. I know I need your spirit to cast out fear, to convict me of your love for me. Lord, help us to be, to be open to your presence by your spirit. Lord, Bring restoration where it's needed. Bring confidence where it's needed. Bring peace where it's needed. Yeah, in the depths of despair, confusion will bring it. Yeah, Father, I pray for any here who might not, might not know you. Um, just pray that you would be
speaking to them as well about all you are, all that you've done. get the feeling, I, I know I said this was for me, so it may just be, it may just be for me. Um, I, I spoke earlier about people for whom performance at, at work is perhaps something that is a big, is a big deal, that um, has a lot of worth, self-worth, a lot of self-worth is wrapped up in it. Um, I mean, it's difficult times at the moment so much pressure, economic pressure. Um, but I just feel there's maybe some um, that God would just want to, to whom God would just want to say, ah, no, I, I value you. You have value that's not connected to your work. And you know, I, I care for you. you know, he would say in the words of Matthew chapter 6, you know, the, uh, the, look, at the, look at how the lilies are clothed. They do not spin, they do not work. And yet, you know, I, I care for them. How much more valuable are you? I just, yeah, I think there might be some people for whom that's, that's for them. Okay. Yeah, Lord, we thank you for that you speak. Uh, Lord, uh, you, you do come to us, you love us, Lord. And we just worship you. We we'll worship you now. Thank you so much, Doug.